Let's take a moment and pray. Lord God, we come before you. Lord, we acknowledge, Lord, that we are nothing and that you are everything. We have no good in and of ourselves, Lord. We are totally unworthy, yet made worthy through the blood of Jesus Christ. Adopted into the family of God. And Lord, I'm so thankful for that family of God, Lord, the one that we can experience here today, even being a part of this local family. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would, Lord, reveal, Lord, not only what is said, but Lord, sometimes what is not said, Lord, that we may apprehend and comprehend all that you have for us this day through your word. And God, speak to us and make us more like you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we started a series uh, entitled Living in Difficult Days. And uh, last week it was kind of interesting because after the service was over, numerous people came up to me and said, Pastor, do you believe that we're headed towards persecution? I have no idea. I do believe this, though, that we are going to be headed towards more difficult days. If you don't believe that, just pay attention to what's going on around us each and every day. Uh, if you are a conservative, whether not just politically, but even in our walk with the Lord, if you are a conservative biblically, your voice is being cut out. You say, well, is it really that big a deal? Yeah, it is. We have people around us trying to rewrite history and say it didn't happen or it happened this way or you can't believe that. You have to believe this. Places like focus on the family being turned off because they believe in a family of one, one husband and one wife and you know, so forth. We're living in a world that we all love diversity as long as you agree with me. And if your idea of diversity is not my idea, well, then I can't associate with you or have fellowship with you or have a friendship with you. Or We're living a day where things, if you are a Christian walking with God, it is going to be more difficult. Um, as we looked at the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer last week, and as we'll be doing the next several weeks, uh, let me just clarify something. I don't believe that Dietrich Bonhoeffer died as a martyr. I don't believe that. I do believe that he was killed and put to death because he was caught in a scheme and a plot to kill Adolf Hitler. But as a result of being caught, he lived out his faith, not only, first of all, teaching in an underground seminary, but also later in a prison cell. He lived out his faith to the end. He took hits because of his faith. He stood up to the very end, as, as you and I should, right? We should, we should stand up as long as God gives us the ability to stand up. But people have talked about coming persecution for difficult, or for, for in the difficult days that are coming for, for decades now, if not for centuries. We looked at last week, there have been over 200 people throughout history who said that Jesus is going to come at this day and this time, even on this date on the calendar, and this time on a 24-hour clock, only to have found out that they didn't really know, because God's Word says no man knows the day nor the hour. But we are going to be living in difficult days. And I believe that what Dietrich Bonhoeffer preached in his final days living on earth are things that we can learn from in our walk with Jesus Christ and in our family fellowship with one another in the body of Christ. So I believe that he gives us some great pointers and some things that we need to learn from as we go forward in these difficult days. In Psalm chapter 133, where we're going to start this morning as a springboard, in Psalm chapter 133, verse 1, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren 
to dwell together in unity. The psalmist said it is good and pleasant for us as believers in Jesus Christ to dwell in unity. In other words, it is good for every one of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior to be able to dwell in unity with one another. If it is so good, why are so many people not dwelling in unity? I think it's for a couple of reasons. Uh, If indeed it is good for us to dwell, as God's Word says it is, then there's certain things that have to be in place for us to be able to dwell in unity. Let me just list a few of them that came to my mind as I, once again, ask questions about Scripture. What does it mean to dwell in unity? Well, first of all, I believe there has to be selflessness. So often what we see in the world that we live in is selfishness, not selflessness. But how much more unity would we have in the body of Christ if I didn't have to have my way all the time? If it wasn't just about me and what I think and what I believe and what I want to happen. If I was more concerned about being selfless than selfish, making it more about God and rather than more about me. But how much better it would be in the body of Christ, and not just this local body, but in every local body, if we didn't care who got the credit, if we didn't care who got to make all the decisions, if we were acted and practiced selflessness. Or how about humility? How often do we just walk into a place and say, okay, the party can start now, I've gotten here, we can get going now. No, it's not, it's not about me, it's not about you, and it's never going to be. But how much better, how much more unity would there be if we would practice Humility in the body of Christ. Or how about kindness? You know, kindness doesn't cost you a thing. To be nice to somebody? It says be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. But how much better would it be in the body of Christ? How much more unity would there be if we would just practice being kind to one another? Or how about understanding? We realize that, yeah, so-and-so just lost a child. So-and-so is going through cancer or an illness. Or so-and-so is having a difficult time right now at work. Or so-and-so just lost their job. But if we would just practice understanding and maybe sometimes just ask a question rather than making an assumption. But how much better would the body of Christ be if we would practice just being understanding towards one another in the body of Christ? Or how about being sacrificial? You know, we live in a world that, is, that has programmed us to build up a lump towards the, towards the end of our lives. Nothing wrong with that. God says that we're to prepare. We're to be good stewards of what He gives us. But we're so programmed that we're going to build this nest egg that are we really practicing being sacrificial and that we are able to help and willing to help those around us that have needs. And you know, realize sometimes it's not just a financial gift of sacrifice, but sometimes it's a sacrifice of your time or your talents or abilities. Somebody's got a need. You know how to fix that need. You know how to address that need. Maybe it's a construction need. Maybe it's a household chore need. Maybe it's something that you have the ability to do. But are you willing to be sacrificial? Are we willing to be sacrificial in the body of Christ? Because then we could dwell in unity one towards another. Or how about maybe being patient with somebody? How about you? But that is not my forte. I get in a hurry. I get in. A, you know, I want to do what I got to do. And you know, the phone rings, and I really don't want to answer it because I got my things to do. And God, I, He just teaches me you need to be patient. I know you have your agenda, but I also have mine. Which one's more important? God's. But I don't want to be patient to do my stuff. I'll be patient on everyone else's stuff, but not my own. Or how about this? Giving and forgiving. So, you know, sometimes I've, and I've heard this in the body of Christ, I've met different people, they hold on to a grudge for weeks and months and years. I've met people that held on to, to grudges for decades. The very person that has offended them or the very person that they're mad at, they've been gone for 15 years. I mean, they're dead and in the grave and not even around, and they're still holding a grudge towards them. 
And, the God, and it's robbing of them of their peace and unity. But he says how good and how pleasant it is for brethren. That's people who claim to know Jesus, right? Bob, you know, each other in the body of Christ. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. In short, I think every one of us can say all these characteristics and many others that we didn't touch, didn't address, come down to the idea of really being rooted in biblical love. If you don't love your brother in the body of Christ, you're not going to be selfless. If you don't love your brother in the body of Christ, you're not going to be humble towards them. If you don't have a biblical love, you're not going to be kind or understanding or sacrificial or patient or giving or forgiving if you are not rooted in God's love. And by the way, he says, if you don't forgive one another, neither will your Father in Heaven forgive you. But we hold on to these things and we make life all about us rather than all about Him, right? He says it's good to dwell in unity. That means we must have a foundation of love and a foundation of pleasing others. He said, in fact, he said this way in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in what? Christ Jesus. We have the mind of Christ. And that's the only way you can practice unity in the body of Christ. Let me give you several verses that God's Word reminds us this, uh, this principle from. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know what the word endeavoring means? It means that you have to work at it. It doesn't come natural. What comes natural is our selfishness. Life is all about me. I get to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, as often as I want to do it, and it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks. It's my life. That's the opposite of living in peace and unity. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. I was talking with someone this week who said, man, I'm, I get right, I'm, in just a couple weeks, he goes, I'm going to Nairobi, Kenya. He goes, I, he goes I'm a little bit nervous. And I said, what are you nervous about? I said, man, I'd love to trade spots with you. I'll go. He goes, no, I really want to go. He goes, but I'm really nervous. He goes, I said, why? He goes, I'm, I'm really nervous about what the believers there will think of me. I said, well, first of all, they don't know you from Adam, number one. And number two, trust me, they'll be excited that somebody came all the way from the United States, all the way to Nairobi, Kenya, and they'll be excited to see you. And I said, one thing has absolutely been true my entire life as I've been involved in missions. It doesn't matter whether I'm in somewhere in the middle of Africa or India or Mexico or Canada. Wherever I've been on an Indian reservation, it does not matter. Anywhere I've ever been doing a mission trip or joining another body of Christ, it's like you can go there and because of the bond that we have in Jesus Christ, it's like I've known each other forever. It's amazing how that happens person I've never met before, and all of a sudden you're with them, and they, they'll greet you with open arms, and they'll embrace you, and they're just so excited that you're there. It's like we've known each other for years and years, and we just met. Why is that? Because of the bond that we have in Jesus Christ. The unity that we have because of Jesus Christ. And he says that we have to work at that. We're baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could come into this body of Christ, and there'd just be a great vast number of nationalities and ethnicities. Wouldn't that be awesome? I long to see the day when our church is filled to where we can have no more people in here and there's people from every race in here. I would love that. I would love to see every background in this church filled because we're one in Christ. I would love to see the Nepalis and the Indians and the Bhutanese 
And by the way, they're using our church facility on Sunday afternoons from 1.30 to 3. You want to see some worship in Nepal? And when they pray, man, they draw close to God. Man, it's awesome to see them come in here and just worship the Lord freely. But you know, it's, it'd be awesome to see, well, we don't have this, this divide. It's not just them and us. It's all of us together as one. That would be awesome to see. Are there differences? Absolutely. But it's so awesome to see how God brings all of us together because of Jesus Christ. I would love to see our church filled with every background. That would be so fun. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Fulfill ye my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. You know what that tells me? God loves unity. And you know what? We're going to need to be unified if we're going to live in difficult days. I'll talk more about that later. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6 says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? He says, with one mouth, glorify. Some of y'all haven't learned to sing just yet. Some of you haven't just learned to just let it all out and, and you know, make a joyful noise, even if it is a noise. He says to glorify God together with one mouth. We're coming together, having the mind of Christ towards one another. And then in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Are we looking to help one another? I love that. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all. You want unity? You want to dwell together in unity because God says it's good and pleasant? Are we looking for opportunities to do good for one another? Once again, it's so easy. We can walk into the church every week and just do our own thing. We've got Bible in, Bible in hand. And hey, how you doing? Pat answered great. We're doing wonderful. Everything's good. Couldn't be better. We all love each other. Lovey-dovey, lovey-dovey. We're all good. And we're not really being honest with each other. First of all, we don't want to let anybody know the struggles we're facing because, well, that's odd. Well, no, it's not. We're a family. You know, for years and years, I said this before, I prayed that God would open up a door so I could have a church near where my blood family was. For years and years and years, I wanted to. I prayed, God, open up a door like just down the road from where my parents live. And God never let that happen. And that's okay now. I've learned to accept it. God doesn't want me in Minnesota. God doesn't want me in you know, where, where my other family is. God wanted me right here. But here's the thing I've come to appreciate. Is that wherever God places us, wherever he has placed us, my church becomes my family. I'm closer to many of you more than I am my blood relatives. And that's probably a good thing. We've learned to count on each other and encourage one another and cry with one another and lift each other up when we're down, right? That's what the body does. You see, as Bonhoeffer was in prison, he looked at the family, or the, or the people that were all around him as family. He looked at them as, these are my brothers and sisters. He looked at them as, I'm never going to get outside these walls. So the ones that inside these walls are my family now. We have the opportunity to be a family. And that's what God calls us to be. And let me just say this from my heart. I don't believe that there's a one of you in this room this morning, or those of you that are watching online, 
that if you didn't call me, I wouldn't try to do something to help you if you needed it. Why? Because love is a decision that results in action and expects nothing in return. I have chosen to love you. I've chosen to make you part of my family. It's not just I'm a hired pastor here coming to preach every Sunday and to fill a 45-50 minute slot. It's more than that. God placed me here. And I've chosen to love where God has placed me. In fact, in Psalm 37, 23, it says the steps of a good man are what? Ordered by the Lord and He what? Delights in His way. This is not an accident for me. This is something that God has called us to. And as He's called us here, I've said, God, I love what You've called us to. This is my family. You are my family. If you call my phone, I will help you if I can. Even if I don't feel like it. Even if it's not convenient. If I can do something, I will. But here's the thing. It's not just me. I hope you would do the same thing. Because we're a family. Because we're a body. So keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that. In page 19 in his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer makes this statement. He says, The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. You hear that? He says, incomparable joy. And I can say that's true. In my life growing up, most of my life, I've been in a local body of believers. And some of my greatest memories revolve around being with other members in the body of Christ. It's been joyful. But he says, he gives three examples. First of all, he talks about Paul who longed to see Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. He says, listen, I want to be around you. And he says, and when we do, he says, I will be filled with joy. Do you have joy being around others in the body of Christ? If not, you need to work on it. There are certain people I know, they just kind of rub you the wrong way. They just kind of get underneath your skin. They irritate you just a little bit. But I think we do that to Jesus Christ sometimes too. And he doesn't love us conditionally. He loves us unconditionally despite our flaws, despite our shortcomings. And we're to love others as Christ loved us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, Night and day praying, ex- or, uh, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. What he's saying there? He says, when we come together, we're going to talk about the Bible, we're going to talk about your faith, and we're going to help each other grow and get, be built up through it. When we come together, it's an opportunity to grow with one another. It's an opportunity to build each other up. And John said it this way. In 2 John verse 12, he says, Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. You know, it's an awesome thing to be able to write a letter. Anybody not enjoy getting a letter once in a while? That's an awesome thing. You know, emails are great. Text messages are fun. Thank God for FaceTime and Messenger video and all these other tools. But I'm telling you, there's nothing like giving someone a hug in person, right? You can't give a hug on FaceTime. can't give a hug on you know, video, video messenger. You can't give a hug in an email. You can't give a hug on a paper and pen. He says, I don't want to see you with ink and pen. He says, I long to see you face to face. Guess what, folks? Guess what, church? We have the ability to see each other face to face. Some of y'all, just let me say this, and this is kind of... What I was thinking, well, I'll come to this in a minute. Some of y'all are going to have a wake-up call at some point in life. Some of y'all are going to have a wake-up call. And you're going to come to the realization that you need those around you. You need them now more than ever. 
Some of you say, well, I go through life, I just keep everybody at arm's length. Some of you keep everybody just far enough away that, yeah, you, have, you know them, you might talk to them, but you don't let them inside. Why? What if God did that to you? What if Jesus Christ says, you know, hey, listen, I, I'm, I'm glad you're one of my children, but you know what, oh, hey, step back, don't get too close. Is that what Jesus does? Or does he say, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest? Or does he say, draw unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you? I think Jesus bids us come close. You know, every time I've went on a mission trip, whether it be to India or Ghana or Liberia, Kenya, Mexico, wherever it is I've been, you know, I look forward to the messages. I'm thankful for the Internet. There's been times in the middle of Togo, West Africa, that I could... You know, grab my iPad and get on the internet and see my wife face to face. But I'm telling you, there's nothing like getting on the plane, getting back to the U.S., and seeing my wife face to face and giving her a hug. Right? We have that ability to be with each other face to face. And that's what God wants us to be. We have the freedom to see each other face to face. Let's never take that for granted. In John chapter 16, verse 33, says, These things have I spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There ought to be peace and love within the body of Christ. Out there, there's chaos. Out there, there's anger. Out there, there is frustration. It should not come inside. I've said for years, you bring problems, you're going to have a conversation with me. This is a place of peace and unity. To the best of our ability, we should love one another. If you got issues, let's deal with the issues, but don't bring the chaos of the world in here. This should be a place of love and unity and harmony, right? There's enough. He says, in the world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. And he says, I've overcome the world. And page 21, he says, Christianity means coming means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And he says, Bonhoeffer says it meant three things. Number one, Christians need others because of Jesus Christ. Christians need others because of Jesus Christ. I want to read this little passage here. So bear with me as I read just a page here real quick. It says, The Christian lives wholly by the truth of God's Word in Jesus Christ. If somebody asks him, Where is your salvation, your righteousness? He can never point to himself. He points to the Word of God in Jesus Christ, which assures him salvation and righteousness. He is as alert as possible to this Word, because he daily hungers and thirsts for righteousness. He daily desires the redeeming Word, and it can come only from outside. In himself he is destitute and dead. Help must come from the outside, and it has to come, and comes daily and anew in the Word of Jesus Christ, bringing redemption, righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. But God has put His Word into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men. So in order for the Word of God to be communicated, we have to be in the Word and to know it ourselves so that we can encourage others with it, right? So he goes, but God has put His Word into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men. And when one person is struck by the Word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find His living Word in the witness of a brother in the mouth of man. 
Therefore, I love this statement, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's Word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain and his brother's is sure. I don't know how many times I've been through a time of discouragement, a time of frustration, and God used another brother to say, hey, pay attention here. This is what God is doing. Pay attention to what God is doing. Get in God's word. Let God speak to you. And I need that reminder, that encouragement from another brother. That's why he gives us a family. And he says in Ecclesiastes, when one is down, the other is up, and he can help lift him up. We need one another, whether you realize it, whether you acknowledge it or not. And so many times we go on life thinking, oh, nobody else is going through what I'm going through. Nobody else is discouraged like I'm discouraged. Nobody else has to deal with what I'm dealing with. And you know what that is? It's all a bunch of self-pity. Come together in the body of Christ and be encouraged by one another. We need one another. God's Word has given us what we need to encourage one another through His Word. So in order for us to do that, we have to be people of the Word ourselves. And then he also says one more paragraph. And that also clarifies the goal of all Christian community. They meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. As such, God permits them to meet together and gives them community. Their fellowship is founded solely upon Jesus Christ and this righteousness. All we can say, therefore, is the community of Christians springs solely from a biblical and reformation message of the justification of man through grace alone. And this alone is the basis of the longing of Christians for one another. Jesus Christ gave us each other to encourage one another in the body of Christ. And what Bonhoeffer was saying as he was imprisoned and as he couldn't get outside those walls, he had those within the walls to encourage one another. Folks, if we are going to live in difficult days, if persecution comes and even if it don't, if things get more difficult, we are going to have to rely on each other and one another in the body of Christ. I thought it was a little bit humorous the other day. I was driving down the road and I saw a nice white truck. I thought it was Jake at first because it's kind of set up like his plow truck. He had a plow on the front, had a tank in the back and so forth. But then I realized that there was a decal in the back window that wasn't his. And the decal simply said this. And I thought it was a little humorous. I survived the toilet paper shortage of 2020. <laughs> Say, what does that have to do with anything? You remember last February, March? When this world pandemic was coming upon us? I mean, you go up to Wegmans and all the shelves were empty. I mean, everybody was like fighting for toilet paper, right? You remember then some months later, there was a semi found with a whole truckload full of toilet paper that somebody tried to hoard and sell for a higher price. I mean, remember this, you know, everything, you know, bread was gone, milk was gone, canned goods were gone. You know, we have a limit. You can only buy one or two cans of this or one or two cans of that. And everybody had a shortage. Some of us became the body of Christ. I remember going to one store and they said, oh, we have all kinds of hamburgers. I said, oh, great. So let's give some away. Let's help each other. Oh, you need this? Okay, let's help you with that. It's an opportunity to be the body of Christ. How many of us during that time were saying, man, I can't find this anywhere. Oh, I got that, so let me give you that. You know, we share. We meet each other's needs because we're a body. We're a family. And once again, if you need something, you should make it known. We're a family. When my kids have a problem, they typically make it known. If one of them needs glasses, they let me know. Their eyes are needing glasses. 
They need to go to the dentist. We try to get them into the dentist. They have to speak up. Because, but because we're parents, because we're a family, we try to help one another in the body, right? That's what we do. When we are filled with the love of God, that extends to the family of God. And we're here for one another. And this was the very thing that helped Dietrich Bonhoeffer as he was imprisoned. So he says Christians need others because of Jesus Christ. Number two, he says the Christian comes to others only through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Do you realize that without Christ there would be nothing but discord and disunity? But because of him, we can come together as one, with a common goal, with a common purpose, because of our common faith. And then number three, he says, In Jesus Christ we have been chosen from eternity, accepted in time, and united for eternity. I love this phrase. Romans 15, verse 7 says, Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Question, is there somebody that you're not receiving? Somebody you don't want to get too close to? He says, receive one another. Bonhoeffer said, In Jesus Christ we have been chosen from eternity, accepted in time, and united for all eternity. He goes on to say this, The more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and His work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we do have one another, holy and for all eternity. Did you get that? We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we do have one another holy and for all eternity. This is the thought that came to my mind when I read that. Some of y'all better get used to that person next to you because you're going to be with them for all eternity. You better get used to them. If you can't stand them down here, what makes you think you're going to be able to stand them up there? You better start swallowing some pride. You better start swallowing some selfishness and get to know and love that person that's around you. Because if you both know Jesus, you're going to spend all eternity with them. So it's not just us and them. It's not just me and you. It's not just me, us and they. It's all of us together, one in the body of Christ. He goes on to say, if we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even where there is no great experience, no discoverable riches, much, much weakness, small faith, and difficulty, if on the contrary we only keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, that we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us all in Jesus Christ. He says, listen, you can either gripe and complain because this life is not what you expected, or you can embrace what Jesus Christ has given to us in the family of God. It's your choice. Can't nobody make, it, make you do it? Can't make you change? But it's your choice. I love it. Because it's so far from what we expected. Does life throw us some curves? Yes or no? <laughs> it sure does. Has anybody experienced some things that they didn't expect out of life? Yeah, I didn't expect a lot of stuff. We may not be able to control what happens to us, but we must control how we respond to it. And if in the body of Christ we have each other to get through it. I've talked to different people in the past who said, well... I've tried that before. I've tried Christianity. I've tried church. I've tried... Christianity is not something you try. Church is not something you try. I mean, try Wrigley Spearmint Gum. That's something you want to try. 
Try Mountain Dew if you want to try something. Try a Chevy if you want to try something. Church is something we are if we know Jesus. It's not something you try. And the fellowship of the family is not something you try. It's something that God says you are part of and be the church for one another. I like this next phrase. He said it is simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. Isn't that true? We have the privilege of living amongst other Christians. We have the privilege of seeing each other face to face. We have the privilege of giving each other a hug and encouraging one another. He said Jesus Christ, on the other hand, lived in the midst of His enemies. In the end, Jesus was utterly alone on the cross of Calvary, surrounded only by those who hated and mocked Him. And yet we have each other. God's Word calls us a body, a family, and we need to act like it is such. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the Word without fear. It says the brethren, the body of believers, those in Christ. It says that most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains. Let me just say this. I don't know that we'll ever be in chains. May not. I don't know how much things will change from the way they are right now. They may not. But I believe they are. That's my opinion. If we can cancel everything that is true and right and what we know from God's Word is true and right and say it didn't exist, it didn't happen that way, and if you're a voice and we say, well, we don't want to listen to conservatives, so we're just going to shut that voice off, I have a tendency to believe that things are not going to get better. They may not get better. But here's the deal. Even if Paul says, having become confident by my chains... What if we are in chains? What? Think about this just for a moment. What if we don't have satellites anymore? What if we don't have radio towers and TV station towers? What if we don't have the internet any longer? Does that stop the gospel? I mean, that's what the apostles did. They went on you know, WCCO and you know, whatever, they just start broadcasting on local radio stations, right? I mean, that's what the apostles did. I mean, they got, hey, 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 Paul, you know, you need to talk to so-and-so, get that satellite up and running. Things are getting a little bit behind over here. They didn't have it. So what if things do get difficult? Is that going to shut us down? No. Even if we're in chains, he says, the chains brought confidence. So we embrace one another in the body of Christ, and we go forward together. You may not like it. It wouldn't be what I chose, or would choose. But it ain't going to stop God from doing what God's going to do. Right? One last verse. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, it says, But concerning brotherly love, he says, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Let me just say this. Let me just stop for a second. Of all the people that come through our doors of the church, if somebody says something to me, and let me just preface this, there is a caveat, because there used to be a big monster stained in the blue carpet out there that people used to always highlight. 
Drove me nuts. Everybody that came in. You know you had a big stain out there? Yes, I know it. But apart from that, the number one thing people always tell me when they come to our church is, well, your church is a friendly church. I'm thankful to hear that. I hope it's really true and they're not just kind of giving you accolades because, well, you know, I'm supposed to do that. But I hear from so many people, your church is a friendly church. I believe that's true. But, he says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. He says, you know how to do this. You know how to love for one If you want unity in the body of Christ, because it's pleasant and it's good to have unity in the body of Christ, the foundation of that is love for one another. So that's a good thing. He says, you know how, you've been taught that, you've heard messages on that, you've given examples of that, you know what that means to love one another in the body of Christ. He goes on verse 10. And he's talking about the church of Macedonia, but he says, but we urge your brethren that you increase more and more. So is there ever enough love in the body of Christ? No. He says, I urge you to increase more and more in this love. If things do continue to get difficult, I'm running to my church body. I'm running to my church family. I'll be encouraged by my local church family. Because I believe that we are a family. If you have need, I'm going to help you. If I have need, I believe that you would help me. But that's what it means to be part of the body of Christ. And we encourage each other through the Word of God in Jesus Christ. Because He is the whole reason that we even come together. Without Him, we have no reason to meet here today, right? If Jesus Christ is not in the picture, we don't, there's no re- we're all wasting our time here today. But we do have Jesus. And He's the reason we come together. And this is what Bonhoeffer was saying. Amidst all the struggle of the living that he had to do in a prison and teaching in an underground seminary, he said it was my fellow believers that were my family. It was this that created a community where Jesus was active and alive that helped us remain faithful to the end. We need one another. Each of us needs one another. In conclusion, how would God have you to respond? Let me ask you a question. Do you need to build or rebuild a relationship that's been destroyed? Say build. Well, what do I mean by build? Well, are there people in this room that you see each and every week but you really don't know them? Build a relationship with them. There's some people in here that I don't really know all of you that well. I know some of you better than others because I've seen you more often than others, but I want to build relationships with those who are in the body of Christ here. And if you don't know someone, get to know them. Don't rush out the door the first time you get, first chance you get. As soon as the organ's done, I'm going to make a beeline to the door, get out of here that way, I don't have to see anybody. Find somebody you don't know and build a relationship with them. Encourage them. Maybe it's to rebuild. Maybe something has gotten in the way and torn down that relationship. You need to rebuild it because they're your brother or sister in Christ. You need to rebuild a relationship. Or maybe you need to seek forgiveness from someone that's offended you. Maybe somebody has odd against you and you say, well, that's your problem. You've got to deal with it. Maybe it's time to deal with it. If it's good to have unity in the body of Christ, it's time to not just let it go. Do you need to encourage another in this body who is struggling? There's somebody that you need to encourage. You know, there's several of us who've made this comment, something similar to this. If I'm just laying in bed at night, or I'm just walking down the road, or walking around the house, whatever, not necessarily down the road, but walking around, 
I'm driving down the road, and somebody brings a name to my, mem- to my memory for whatever reason. I may not know why, but I have this premise. If God brought them to my mind, it's probably because they need a prayer. And so I'll stop and pray right then and there. If someone calls me up and says, Pastor, can you pray? Right then and there I pray. Because I would want the same. When we say, oh, I'm praying for you, do you really pray for that person? I hope you do. How would God have you to respond? You know, over these last couple weeks, or last week and this week, last week I gave you a list of the ten most persecuted countries in the world. There is a world around us that is going through discouragement and frustration and persecution. And you know how most of them get through it? By bonding together with their church family. That's really it. They may not have anything else, but they have each other. We may not have much, but we have each other if we're willing to utilize that gift that God has given us. I said last week I was going to highlight over the next couple weeks those who are discouraged. You know, God may never give us, bring us through the place of persecution, but I, I want us to think about and pray for those who are going through it. Maybe it ought to encourage us because if it comes our way one day, we'll be prepared maybe just a little bit. So last week we looked at the ten most persecuted countries in the world. This week I want to just highlight one of them. I thought I'd take a moment and highlight India. I've been to India a couple times. Loved India. In fact, I had such a broken heart over what I saw in India that I came home and I tried to adopt some Indian children. It wouldn't allow me as an American to adopt I mean, there's by the millions, literally millions, roaming the streets of India. No parents. And yet they won't let us adopt. Unless I was under 37 years old, was Hindu, or I didn't have at least two children. If I met all those requirements, if I was Hindu, was it not past 37, or didn't have any kids, then they would consider it. Those were the rules at the time. But if I could, I had to build an entire home and a mansion for them. But India goes through a lot of persecution. And the reason of it is for religious nationalism. There's a total population of almost 1.4 billion people in India. 1.4 billion. And less than 5% of them claim to have any type of Christianity. And when I say Christianity, I'm not just talking about conservative Christianity. I'm talking about whether they Lutheran or Methodist or Catholic or Presbyterian, anything there is considered Christian. But when it comes to Bible-believing churches, even less. But less than 5% of 1.4 billion people claim to have any type of Christianity. Hindu extremists believe that all Indians should be Hindus and that the country should be rid of Christianity and Islam. And to achieve this goal, they use extensive violence particularly targeting Christians from Hindu background. In their villages, Christians are accused of following a foreign faith, quote-unquote, and often physically attacked. If they don't reconvert, quote-unquote, their community may boycott them and with a devastating effect on their ability to earn an income or even to buy food. That's persecution. I'm going to take away your ability to even buy food. 
I'm going to take away your ability to have a job. I'm going to take away your ability to grow as a family if you claim to be a Christian. Folks, we have it easy. You know how they get through it all? Each other in the body of Christ. I have so many friends there, he says, it has just drawn them closer together. Difficult days should draw us close together. Right? It should. But as long as we think we're better than someone else, or as long as we think of we don't need anyone else, as long as we're willing to keep them at arm's length and not let them into my sphere of influence or my sphere of uh, vulnerability, nothing will change. He says how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The foundation of that unity stems from a heart of love for one another because of what God's love has done for us. That's the basis. That's the foundation. When we say love one another, this is where it leads. Are you willing to do that? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the opportunity. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be challenged from your word. Lord, I do believe difficult days are coming. And Lord, we need each other now more than ever before. And I pray, God, that we would practice these things that we're seeing in Scripture, that we can encourage each other through the difficult days and depend on each other and build each other up in the body of Christ. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts as only you can. How does God want you to respond? How does God want you to respond to what you've heard? Say, Pastor Ken, I am kind of a loner. Maybe I don't really open myself up to others, but maybe God's challenged you to open yourself up, to build a relationship, maybe to rebuild a relationship, maybe to forgive someone. Once again, you know Jesus Christ, and they know Jesus Christ. You're going to spend each other spend all eternity with each other. Let's enjoy the fellowship and the relationship now. Say, Pastor, I just need to love each other. Love one another better. How does God want you to respond? Say, Pastor, God's challenged my heart. God's convicted me. Some things need to change. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? With uplifted hands, say, pray for me. I need to love one another more. a couple people nodding their heads. Anyone else say, pray for me. That's me. I can't control what anyone else does. Neither can you. But you can absolutely control what you do with God's help. It's got to start with each and every one of us. If you don't think nothing needs to change, guess what? Nothing will change. But more and more, we need each other days that we're living in. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me? Yes. Let's stand to our feet. Lord, you know our hearts. And Lord, you know the very thing that hinders us from loving one another, from being the body of Christ, by loving each other in the family of Christ. Lord, I pray that we have the ability to overcome them, that we might be a true picture of a 
godly, biblical family in Jesus Christ. God, would you speak to each and every one of us, those who nodded their heads, those who lifted their arms, those who acknowledge, Lord, that something needs to change. I ask, God, that you would speak to their hearts. And, Lord, for all of us as a body of believers here at Harvest, whether we're faithful every week or visiting today or maybe some of these that are online watching today, I ask, God, that you would speak to our hearts. May we be a picture of Jesus Christ and how we love one another in this body and to those that we come in contact with. Because, Lord, you said how good, how pleasant it is for, for the brethren to dwell in unity. God, I pray that we would be unified because of our love for one another. Would you speak to our hearts, Lord? And, Lord, I pray for those who are living in persecuted places. Lord, those especially in India today, as I think about our friends that are there and how difficult it can be but thank you that they have each other as your Father to encourage one another, to lift each other up. Lord, to provide for one another. Lord, when one has something that the other one needs, thank you for the example of their faithfulness to you and to each other. But God, give them strength, give them boldness, give them courage, meet their needs, we pray. And for here in America, Lord, we pray for a revival to sweep our land. We pray, God, that you would speak to all of us as believers. May we lead the charge in doing what's right. And Lord, we get, we'll be careful to praise you in all that is said and done. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.